On episode 118 of the Vincast, I chat with Phil Hude, owner-operator of one of Melbourne's most iconic wine stores, Armadale Cellars. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to another episode of The Vincast. My name is James Guestbrook, otherwise known as The Intrepid Wino, and I'm very excited to finally be able to uh, to release a new episode of uh, the wine podcast that, uh, uh, unfortunately, I haven't been able to focus on uh, as much as I would have liked this year. Uh, as I mentioned on a previous couple of episodes, I've been uh, otherwise occupied with uh, winemaking, a new job, and most importantly, my now three-month-old son, Oliver, uh, who makes uh, life so much more enjoyable, uh, but uh, but does make it uh, hard to find the time to uh, to record episodes of the podcast. Uh, so I'm um, excited to, to have a new one and uh, could not be more excited about uh, my guest for this episode, uh, someone who uh, is very well known in the wine trade here in Melbourne uh, and is one of the most iconic wine retailers. Uh, his name is Phil Hude, and uh, he this year is celebrating 20 years as the owner-operator of Armadale Cellars. Uh, and I sat down with him uh, recently in the uh, gorgeous cellars uh, on High Street, and we had a chat about his background and what makes Armadale Cellars and his contribution to uh, wine retailing so important. So I hope you do enjoy the episode. Stick around till the end uh, and you can find out how to get in touch with uh, with Phil and myself. But uh, until then, I'll see you on the other side. Phil, thank you for uh, making some time uh, in your busy schedule. Obviously, uh, a big year uh, and lots of exciting events this year, but uh, it's, it's really fantastic to be able to sit down with you here in the cellars of Armadale Cellars um, to, to have a chat about you and, and this wonderful store. Thanks, James. Yeah, um, had a challenging morning as we sometimes do in uh, in the joys of wine retail. But uh, uh, yeah, Russell, uh, sorry, Russell, I'm going well. Um, Richard Branson tweeted uh, not that long ago that about three percent of people get up in the morning and absolutely love what they do. And uh, today's been a challenging morning, but mainly every morning I love what I do and I love coming to work. And I'm I uh, wouldn't say I live for work by any means. I love my family. So, um, <laughs> but you know, I am I am have been accused of being a little bit of a workaholic, and uh, uh, nothing uh, succeeds like hard work. But, Absolutely, um, and I think the fact that uh, you are you're celebrating twenty years here at Armadale Cellars that is a testament to to that work ethic. It's a bit of a stint, and I must admit, if I, when I walked in here twenty years ago, if someone had said you're going to be here in twenty years and have the uh, all the interesting people in wine, and you know, have great wine dinners, and enjoy yourself uh, completely silly most nights of the week. Um, I would have laughed, but it has <laughs> been a great journey, and and I'm uh, I'm renowned for living life to the full. But it is great fun. So I'm going to take you back um, uh, quite a while, I would think. Um, can you can you remember? Because I I start every episode pretty much the same way. Mm. Can you remember the first interaction you had with wine? that made you think about it in a different way and possibly set you on the path towards a career uh, in wine? Yeah, certainly. It's uh, I was brought up, uh, so to speak, in work terms in hotels slash pubs. So I did hotel catering management out of uh, All Boys Catholic College, who obviously sent me to the drink. And <laughs> <laughs> pretty simply, um, I then um, I did two years at uh, what was FIT, now VicUni, 
doing hotel catering management and then managed pubs because uh, I decided that course was extremely accounting-based and I kept failing accounting and I think the uh, invigilator told me to go forth after failing basic accounting four times. Mm. And uh, so I went and uh, worked in pubs the hard way, so to speak, and just started in, in the uh, as a glassy and what have you. And then um, worked my way up and did every job possible and ended up in management. And it was then that uh, being a beer and Bundy boy, which is a disgraceful thing to admit, um, and it wasn't because I liked beer. In fact, I've Sorry. never never been a great beer um, lover, although I think, you know, in my youth it was a, it was a pretty homogenous brand of beer in this country. Now it's completely different, of course. But uh, I then had a catering manageress put me under her wing and uh, said, listen, Rather than drinking that awful black shoe polish stuff and beer, how about I let you try, you know, why don't we try a wine with our meal tonight? This is at the pub because being a pub manager, we got given our meals, of course. And that sort of started the flick and uh, or the, uh, flick of the flame. And then I think what uh, got the burning bush going was my brother got a job at Campbell's Winery as an accountant, which oh, is pretty really? funny considering I failed accounting and he's an accountant and my father's a 50-year veteran accountant. Um, Clearly he got all the accounting genes. Exactly. I was holding the door open, obviously. <laughs> and uh, pretty simply, he uh, he went and worked at Campbell's. So I went up to the Rutherglen walkabout, and uh, which is a bit of an oxymoron because you're not walking about by the end of it. And I think the walkabout's this weekend, actually. It might be. That's right. Yes, it is normally around uh, my birthday time. So uh, pretty simply, yes, that's right, the long weekend. But pretty simply, uh, I think I cut my teeth on very sweet, good, high-end, fortified. Sure. So like a lot of kids... You know, I mean, I was privileged that I remember, you know, drinking some stuff out of Colin Campbell's very small 100-year-old barrel, you know, and uh, which was just like nectar and mm-hmm. uh, treacle almost. And so that I think that started it. And then, you know, as you do, you have a few people who sort of inspire you. And then, uh, then I just found every sort of minute outside pubs that I pretty simply was going to wineries and trying wines and asking all the questions you do, and, and I was just besotted. Yeah. And I had the wine bug, as I call it. So um, what sort of wineries would you be visiting? What regions and, and what was was there um, much wine tourism that, at that time? Yeah, 25 years ago it was sort of uh, um, embryonic to say the least and there was only, uh, from memory, 600 wineries in Australia and only a couple of hundred in Victoria. And uh, so, you know, I remember when Rick Kinsbrunner started, Jay uh, Condor and... Um, and, you know, he was out of engineering or, you know, worked at Brown Brothers and there was all these, as you know, that's a frightfully, frightfully incestuous industry. So everyone knows everyone to some degree, all this, you know, two, two, uh, two parts before, you know, you... Um, it's, it's certainly not six degrees. It's a lot it's, less it's degrees, two degrees of separation. It is. Yeah. I reckon it's two degrees of separation <laughs> and, you know, six parts that of uh, a drink that, you know, you've shared with someone else. But long story short, uh, people like David Anderson at Wild Duck... Um, you know, when they started, um, you know, just all sorts of people that uh, now have become, you know, my bread and butter, so to speak, and, and who I support. And uh, and I have, I am pretty loyal. That's uh, probably one of my great uh, attributes is that I'm very loyal to people, um, especially if I know that they've got quality and, and uh, good product. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, those sort of people. And then, you know, obviously travelled over to Coonawarra. Um, went up to the Hunter, went to all sorts of regions. Just and I love travelling and, and visiting wine, wine regions. I think that I could do that for the rest of my life happily, you know, um, and do. You know, I went to Vinatilly last year, and you know, it's just it's an amazing thing to be able to do that as part of your job and, and see the world and, and see wine growing areas. So yeah, that's no, always 
always been a great passion and I think that's part of it. I think tourism was always a, an interesting part. I actually chose tourism as, as my second course, funnily enough, to hotel catering management um, in my early days. And then, of course, I went on and did Roseworthy um, as a mature age student once I got the bug completely and mm-hmm. uh, met Pat, Pat, Patrick Island and uh, Patrick Island uh, got me basically a bit of a, a free walk into Roseworthy as a mature age because mm-hmm. uh, you could see that I was completely and utterly gone on it. And, besotted. Um, I was I was besotted. And uh, then I made my transition from pubs into uh, wine retail. Right, okay. So what was the extent of wine uh, in pubs at that time? Was there, was there much or was it... No, it was pretty bag in the box, yeah, silver pillow and, uh, you know, craft it off and uh, yeah. pretend that it's actually, uh, you know... Uh, Something special, but uh, and you know, in some in some ways, I mean, again, you know, as a child, I remember my father, you know, driving his GT Ho up to uh, Mitchelton to the great white symbol in the sky, and uh, you know, and ha- how important that was. How Mitchelton to Bilk in those days was like a, a you know starting ground for a lot of people to try wine, let alone you know, and there were so many interesting brands, and you know, um, but they were just you know, some of it was just shadow average, and. Uh, you know, I'd, I'm not sure there was any great wine culture of any distinction. There was just a few sort of groups of people who were interested in the odd winemaker and whatever who obviously was besotted into the industry. But you know, in the in the, in the time I've been in the industry, it's obviously become huge and a great part of our life. And you know, it's just now uh, the fact our courses are so sought after and, and fill very quickly is testament to the fact that people want to learn about this stuff. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I would think that as far as maybe pubs in, in, out in the wine regions, they probably would be stocked with a bit of wine. Um, Settlers, what is it, the Settlers Tavern <laughs> over in, in Margaret River is one of the, yeah, one yeah. Of the ones that I've visited that's uh, pretty well known for their, um, you know, reasonably well-stocked exactly. cellar. Well, you look at the Dunkeld and, you know. Yeah, well, of course. Idio- idiosyncratic. Royal Mail's a bit different. The Victory Hotel at McLaren Vale. And, yeah, yeah, yeah there's, absolutely. There's some, there's some really interesting, and I think that's what I love doing too is, is seeking out those sort of places that are, that are sort of special in their own right about wine because you, uh, you might you never know you might find something really really interesting absolutely. Australian wise with a bit of age on it correct uh, and you know they, they probably wouldn't mark it up like a lot of the uh, these really fine dining restaurants would yep exactly or a, or a uh, maybe a DRC hiding in the corner oh, you never know <laughs> um, so when you went over to Roseworthy mm. this were you studying was it winemaking that you were studying no, I did wine, wine marketing I did wine marketing which in in those days he says has an as an old uh, hand um, it was actually quite wine based it was based at Roseworthy it's now not it's at uh, Wait Campus of course in uh, in Adelaide, but um, Herbray. Yeah, that's right. I, yeah. Know, I know that because I I, that's I, right. I did it at uh, at Herbray. Um, <laughs> but we had our, you know, we had the kindergarten vineyard up there, and you know, people like Peter Dry and Pat Island, and there were some really interesting, legendary people within the uh, industry who taught at the time I was there, and we made our own wine in the kindergarten winery. Wow. Okay. And uh, so I felt like I actually had had you know put got my hands dirty, and we you know we had to do. A test of ampelography for twenty different, you know, vines, and uh, which is one of the most harrowing experiences. Trying to guess what uh, vines were. It's nothing worse when you get to number eight and you've already dominated three of them as Shiraz. Yeah, and, um, I remember that. I remember that test. That was tough. pretty hard one. It's tough. Looking at, looking at a leaf, going, exactly. Oh God, how many? Oh, <laughs> oh, yeah. And and so you know, it was. I, I feel vindicated that when I did it, it was quite wine based. Whereas now I know that it's uh, the wine marketing. 
degree is actually quite uh, you know statistic and export and whatever because yeah, absolutely. it has changed a lot. I mean, obviously the market's changed for us, but but uh, but you know the Australian wine industry, its focus has changed in the last twenty five years. Yes, in that you know it had became even more export focused, and and that's where uh, wine marketing and wine business, uh, you know, as a, a tertiary course became much more focused. Absolutely. That was my experience. Anyway. No, that's right. But even people like Dominic Morris at Pondalawi, who, you know, um, did wine marketing around the same time I did. And, you know, he ended up being winemaker for Quinta de Crasto as well as now starting his own winery. And so, you know, um, I know a number of people who I think even Neil Pike from memory was, a, was did wine marketing at Roseworthy and, you know, he's obviously legendary in his own right as a winemaker. And so there's, there's a number of people who, I mean, not that I had delusions of grandeur to be an artist and be a winemaker. <laughs> um, and I've helped out on different vintages, but I'm, uh, I'm not gr- uh, an artistically bent person. I'm much more a marketer and that's why I love selling and that's, I think that's why I chose the retail path. So was the retail path, was that before or was that because of the wine marketing studies? Uh, no, I was always a great salesperson. I, I mean, I should have been a, always have the saying that I should have been a car salesman or a uh, stockbroker. I would have made a hell of a lot more money. But then I would have then had to pay the money to drink the wines I drink. So it's an interesting one. And you would have paid full retail as well. I would have paid full retail. That's right. And uh, so, you know, it's interesting. Um, uh, I love selling, and, and uh, but I'm passionate about selling. So I think also to, to last in this environment, you have to sell quality. Because obviously, you know, the people uh, you won't you won't uh, get people back if you don't sell them quality and uh, and great value, um, and that's become a big part since the GFC that um, you know price is a big determinant. But it's you know we're it is proven that it's not everything. Um, I, I kind of think of it is is a really interesting challenge is to try and maintain the quality hmm. whilst representing value as much as possible. You can't sell anything anymore, so you have to be able to identify when something yes. over-delivers at the price point yes. because people want to spend $20, $25 retail, but if they can give them something that makes them think, oh, wow, I didn't expect something that would be this good for that price. Correct. Yeah. That's that's setting them up so that when, you know, mm. in the future, when times are better, maybe they do spend $40 on a bottle of wine. Absolutely. Over-delivering is everything, and you're right. And I think it is a bit like, for me anyway, it seems to be shooting. I mean, we try five to 50 wines every day here at the cellars, and that comes up with the collection that we have. And therefore, you know, we find wines that are over-delivering because the market is completely overheated. And, you know, I won't say it's shooting fish in a barrel, but it's bloody tough work to come up with the mix. But there are some ripping wines at, I think, all price ranges. And and, and whilst retail, obviously, you know, has had to, there's been a bit of a correction with financial issues mm. and with, mm. you know, the way that retail uh, businesses have changed and obviously, you know, it's quite dominated by two companies. Um, I think at the same time, um, as far as wine making and wine companies, they've had to become a lot more um, creative and find ways that they can, you know, maybe be a bit more cost effective and not just, you know, throw their wine into 100% beautiful new French <laughs> barriques every year and go, maybe, maybe let's do 50% new work, that kind of thing. So I think, you know, it, it, it's been a, an opportunity for everyone to think a little bit more, think a bit differently and, and find ways that they can still deliver value whilst, you know, maintaining a price, not, not seeing inflation kick up prices for wine. Sure. Even people buying $100 bottles need to know that they're getting their money's worth. And so, you know, I often have discussions with, with high-end clients about how good and whether it's, you know, worthwhile to buy Cullen or Mosswood or, um, you know, Wild Duck Reserve or whatever it is. 
Um, and, you know, look, I, I don't think that everybody likes every wine. I understand that, obviously. But there's no doubt that, you know, I love highlighting the the USP's unique selling points or the benefits of, of a winery and, and the history and tradition. I think there's always great stories to be told about every wine and winery. And that's, again, what, you know, people love and that's why our events are, are very popular and do and, pretty and well. That, and that really is what independent wine retail can offer, whereas yes. big box retail can't. They can't. They're trying to, I think. Yes. You know, they're, they're, they're using, I guess, somewhat minimal media you know, they're, they're making their beautifully produced videos and stuff mm. like that. But grassroots, people want to talk to a person. Correct. And they want to know that the person they're talking to understands what they're, what they're looking for mm. and, and has that depth of knowledge and experience to be able to recommend the best wine for them. I did, uh, I did my thesis at Roseworthy on the benefits of the internet to the Australian wine industry, which I think would be now 25, 30 years ago. Yep. So it was incredibly embryonic and everyone was chasing me for the results. But the results were pretty minimal because, you know, we didn't really have the internet here at that stage. No. Any great, I mean, it was a 14.4 uh, bit modem and, uh, you know, you'd press a button and about you'd go and make a cup of coffee and then the, po- lay, uh, the page would load. So, <laughs> um, you know, I know then it was nothing. The states were starting to get it. Um, where yeah, I, they, they, I remember the US was quite strong as far yeah. as mail, mail outs and stuff like yeah, that, so using yeah, database no, marketing Absolutely. Type stuff. So I think, you know, the, I think uh, Australians more so love the shopping experience and or the personal contact. And I think everyone in general does. I mean, you know, there's, uh, the challenge moving forward is whether we use social media and or internet regime, especially with the uh, NBN coming in, which will make all the download speeds so much quicker, is that whether someone like myself, whether Phil, the wine merchant, can be in, you know, your place in a virtual tasting type yeah. scenario. Yeah. And I think that's something we'll look at in the future. But... Yeah, there's nothing like being there. And again, for me, I'm in a hinterland of Armadale, Turak, where God bless the uh, people have good coin. And um, you know, we uh, the strategic part was that we know we're in the you know a fairly good part, to say the least, of Melbourne, and the local hinterland can afford to buy great wine. So I'm fortunate in that respect because I deal in great wine most days. But you know, look, I understand that everybody can't afford a fifty dollar or a thirty dollar bottle every night. Um, but, you know, we, we had to understand and, and work towards our niche, and that's been interesting. We don't sell casks. I mean, I don't know how many wine stores could say that. Mm. And um, but it, and I'm not saying that as a badge of honour or anything. It just we realised that we weren't selling them. Yeah, absolutely. And, uh, we use them for our pellet trainers, but that's about it. <laughs> <laughs> so um, post-studies, mm. what was your entree into um, retail? Yeah, I... Um, I was uh, working in the northern suburbs and uh, went from a fairly run-of-the-mill store, was poached by some owners of a uh, – who were then running Egamont Cellars in the north, which was a pretty high-end – I grew up well, in that, Ivanhoe. Oh, did you? Oh, wow, what a small <laughs> world. And uh, God, I didn't realise that. Anyway, um, so I'd run, run Egamont Cellars for about 10 years while I managed pubs part-time in my late 20s and was studying and rah-rah. Wow. And so – Eaglemont gave me a chance. I mean, it was a really idiosyncratic store and it was in a cul-de-sac and it was really tough to market it. So after about, you know, a decade there and um, I got offered to buy it by the owners, but when looking around for somewhere else, I found Armadale and fell in love with it. And then circumstances became that it, you know, uh, 
it just obviously looked like a great buy and it's sort of main, you know, arterial that's close to the city. I can see all the benefits in a, in a very wealthy area. Not that Egremont isn't, um, you know, it's a fairly affluent area as well, but it was hard to market that in that cul-de-sac. And so I knew being on a mainstream street, all I had to do was apply the marketing and the, the tenacity and the sales spiel, so to speak, in um, what I'm doing in... You know, the underground cellar that we're sitting in now has probably sold me more wine than any of the shelves. Yeah, absolutely. I know, I know from my experience working in King Godfrey, even though it was only for a mm. year and a half, the, that beautiful cellar was such a big point yeah. of difference. Yeah. Um, and people loved coming down even just to have a look at some of the bottles and, and be down. And I'm sure it's the same, exactly the same down here. And that having the ability to use this space for tastings and, and dinners and other events, it, it, no doubt, is a um, huge, it huge is. B- benefit for, for being able to communicate and sell the wine. And again, you know, you were there with the Tascas, Red? I came in I came in a little bit after. Okay, yeah. And uh, I went to, went to school with Paul for a useless bit of trivia. And, um, <laughs> but, go. yeah, so, you know, another I've no boy. Oh, and yeah. uh, pretty simply, um, you know, I think that's the key, that there are there is a niche for people who are willing to be very passionate and uh, it's a tough one because I think we're in a transition period where bricks and mortar are becoming challenging. That's an obvious. Yeah. Um, and uh, especially since GFC. But I still believe, and I'm, again, fortunate in where I am, but it's going to get harder and harder with the rents, et cetera, um, to keep, you know, w- whether it's worth having this sort of size building. And, and uh, I mean, I'm fortunate there's a few great selling points here that we've got a big car park and, you know, a few rooms and warehouse, etc. on site. I mean, it's a, they're huge competitive advantages which you can't replicate in many places now. Absolutely. Um, but uh, the harder you work, the luckier you get. And uh, I just saw the when – I, when I fell across here, which I literally fell across Armadale, and then uh, in the old days it was Duke and Lynch, and um, they were an import specialist firm, and that handed it on to someone who um, was coming from outside the industry and really struggled, um, who was a ripping guy, but it was just – it is a tough industry, and so – he hadn't studied formally in wine and was relying on other people far too much and um, he just had to sell. So, um, you know, that's where I got it from and uh, I came here and assumed a value against Eaglemont where I was and this just became an obvious choice, much to the people who were trying to sell me Eaglemont who owned it were a bit shattered, but uh, which is a shame because, you know, I really did love that place and worked very, very hard for them and for that business. But in the end, you sort of have to make a choice and I chose to go to, uh, to here to Armadale, to High Street, and uh, 20 years later, I sit here fat, unfit and happy. <laughs> um, so what's the history of the building itself? Do you know? I mean, like, so yeah. it was solely retail when, when you bought it? Yeah, what? it was being like a retail for about 40 or 50 years. Wow, okay. Um, the cellar we sit in was a, an old cold store. Cold store mm-hmm. And we used to have a little ramp on the side there that we've since cut out and killed, which was where the from the street they would load stuff in, a bit like a pub um, barrel scenario, but um, uh, this was all uh, redone and dug out by um, Graham Lynch and Ross Duke, I think, in the old days uh, when they were doing a lot of high-end French and overseas tastings and stuff and they just wanted an underground cell. That actually was all racked. Actually, they didn't do tastings down here. It was all racked. Mm-hmm. So I then took the racks out upstairs and made it so that it was somewhere where people would sit and um, consume the education and wine, et cetera. And, yep. and, you know, I think I was one of the first people to ever go for a limited renewable licence. So because retail, you know, by rights you can't charge to actually do an event, but I went and got a one of the first limited renewable licences uh, ongoing, which cost me a fortune. 
um, due to the lovely person next door who didn't want me to get it. And uh, but we came to a consensus, and it all worked out. And um, so yeah, no, it's been a big competitive advantage, and we do. You know, we're very proactive with tastings and uh, and dinners and events. It's been a big part. We're almost as much in the entertainment industry, I think, than <laughs> than we are in the wine industry. But you know, it's the wine is obviously the thing that we uh, focus on selling and love it. And uh, yeah, so no, it, this building uh, is eighteen eighty two. Uh, it's heritage listed, um, and uh, you know it's got uh, it's tri level, uh, which is very unusual. And um, we probably could use the space logistically a little bit better, but um, at this stage, um, we use it for offices and. You're storage. twenty years in. Why rush? Why rush? <laughs> still, yeah, I'd like to think there's maybe another twenty to go, and we've got a long lease. So uh, yeah, no, it's it's um, there's always challenges. I mean, that's the thing about retail; it's never devoid of challenges, and. Um, you know, it is this next phase of uh, the next, let's say, 10 years, uh, I think is going to be interesting in whether traditional bricks and mortars can stay um, here. I mean, we're, we've moved in the last three, four years to we can now nominate, a, a, you know, up to 12% of our orders are coming from online. Yeah, okay. But they still have to come and pick it up. Well, not they don't have to, but a number of people choose to pick it up because mm. they love the interaction still. And that, and that's the future, I think, is... Mm. is finding that balance and obviously it's going to be different for every business but finding that balance between that digital communication um and yes. that personal that face-to-face correct i communication. think and i think the obvious thing to say is that wine has to be tried and and, and experienced in your own realm in the flavors and the characters and the if I, I mean you know maybe someday yep. there'll be the ability to put your finger on a on a computer screen and be able to taste a wine, but you can't do that now. <laughs> exactly. No, no, and I think uh, I'll be logged on before hopefully that go, that uh, comes to pass. But there's no doubt that, uh, you know, people want to be present at something and there's you've got, you know, the interaction. And I think people forget about also the socialisation of that wine brings. I mean, really in the end, if you think about it logically, one of the greatest things that wine gives you is socialisation and the fact that you can share and talk about the wine and discuss the characters. I mean, you know what we're like in the industry. We love it. You know, that's what we do. We sit around and drink great bottles. That's one of the can. complaints that people have with um, trade events is that <laughs> you go along and it's like, no, I want to taste some stuff, but you keep seeing people you know and have a chat, Correct. catching up because you don't necessarily get to see them that often. Yeah, well, that's that's why we get most people to come here now because you're right, it's just the time period of that where we can't, you know, I can't afford all that socialisation time. I have to be, to get through five to 50 wines a day, you've just got to be brutal in almost saying, you know, put down your babies in a glass in the Riedels and uh, leave them there and we'll try them when we can and if we love them, we'll tell you. Yep. And Because uh, that, that's a hard part, you know, to tell people either their babies are great or ugly. Mm. And uh, we don't tell them they're ugly, we just say they're interesting. Yep. That's the code word. If you can't say something nice. You can't say something nice, that's right. So, But I, but like children, I can see benefits in every wine. There are, I think, you know, 99% of wines have, you know, some benefits. Uh, it's just a matter of uh, whether there's any blemishes that... Uh, that uh, over override, but most of you know this is very very good wine. I mean we're so spoilt with wine from not only this country but around planet Earth, of course. We are the wine quality over the mm. last twenty five years, no doubt, uh, or twenty years I should say, no doubt has um, com- you know completely changed. And there are countries that back then they might have made some really pretty decent but very cheap wine, and now they're mm. starting to find their own feet as well. I, I noticed upstairs you had a, a beautiful Grenache from South Africa, for example. Exactly, yeah. You know, and so, so many emerging players. The, you know, the, 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 the access to wine, yes. you know, both as a consumer and as a retailer, mm. um, you know, that's probably one of the exciting things that's happening now. Correct. Back, back then when you, when you took the, 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 the reins of Armadale Cellars, um, what was the... 
the um, the situation as far as wine distribution. Uh, were you buying directly from some producers? Yeah. Were there many distributors mm. and importers going yeah, around at the time? It's a really interesting comment. Um, it has changed enormously in the 20 years. It's, it's almost gone full circle where I was dealing direct with a lot of people and then a lot of them wanted distributors and then obviously now what's happening is a more direct model and I think there's a real head numb for wineries to somehow work out how you can have um, channels of distribution, be loyal to them and not... Uh, be too competitive such that you're treading on each other's toes but servicing all the markets. Mm -hmm. And that's tough and that's why a lot of people love coming to us because we sell a lot of wine to people with good sellers and upmarket boutique collectors, et cetera, et cetera. So we're inundated by people wanting us to uh, to give us their babies and, and uh, put them in the right places. But The tender process for, for some of the big guys, I'm sure, can be a little bit challenging as yeah. far as... Pulling your pants down, so to speak. Yeah, I mean, look, there's some fright, you know, and, and that's, I mean, now, as I say, it's not shooting fish in a barrel, but there are some incredible deals out there, so to speak. And um, But then I'm someone who always loves, as you rightly said, to over-deliver, so I've never been one to have ridiculous um, prices or whatever and, you know, try and take advantage. It's all, always, I'd, I want people, the reason why I think 20 years has, has uh, come about and we're still here at Armadale Sills under my guys is, you know, we, we offer great value and, and that, that's you, why people and come back. And clearly you teach the customer how to recognise when something is value. I think education is Not, not a huge to part. devalue wine. Yeah, no doubt. I mean, the, the education aspect here is huge and the introductory wine courses that we do are almost embarrassingly popular. And they're not, you know, we chose not to go down the wet set path. We were offered it and just, you know, distinctively wanted to have our own style and brand. And I'm fortunate I've got, you know, a number of wine silly people in my... Uh, under my uh, uh, employee, employee uh, <laughs> and um, and it's and it is a team effort. I mean, you know, you look, you know, Philip just won uh, the other Philip won uh, the Working with Wine Negotiations Award, which is a big thing. Mm -hmm. um, you know, uh, young girl Irish uh, Anya who's you know studied wet set and you know really I've never seen such a super palate at thirty. Um, you know, we've we're I'm really blessed and you know. Uh, Pete, you know, used to be a Dan's fine wine guy and just loves the revels in the fact that he's now in small retail. And then we've had just had a recent uh, acquisition of a guy out of the golf industry who's now, I can see the wine bug has bit him completely. <laughs> but he hits off scratch, so nobody wants to play with him, yeah, yeah. <laughs> play golf with him. But anyway, no, he's, look, Kingsley's a great asset as well. And yeah, we're, I'm really fortunate that along the way I've had a number of, uh, you have ended up winemakers and wine winery owners, you know, that have worked for me. It's, uh, no, no doubt. Like in the same mm. way that you uh, have, you know, have to work very hard to to assess a wine's quality and think, you know, think about how it can over deliver. I'm sure you, you know, the staff that would have had to come through here, and I'm, I'm sure it's somewhere that over the years a lot of people would have wanted to work for the same reason. You know, that there's an opportunity to to um, you know work with wine education, tasting Absolutely. amazing yeah, wines, yeah. Um, so, that kind of thing. So, you know, I'm sure again, 20 years is a testament to you being able to identify when uh, you know. Some, someone in your staff can contribute and absolutely and, and, and excel, exceed beyond their capabilities mm. and over deliver in, in, in that way. Yeah, I mean, I've, and I've had to learn uh, not to be too uh, um, dictatorship. You know, have, not to have a dictatorship and uh, and make sure it's a it's a uh, everyone has a voice. And it's really lovely to see some of the kids. You know, and even you know, good good friend is a nice thing to say for an ex employee. But you know, Pete Nixon, who now is the chief buyer at Dan's, used to be here at one stage. You know, in the old days, and 
you know, there's some lovely people who have come through here who have ended up, you know, in fabulous positions in the industry. And um, and even people who have then moved on to other careers and, you know, but have a, such a, you can still see their passion when they walk in and say, you know, I'm a lawyer or whatever I am now, a policeman or something. Um, and, you know, that's a lovely thing to see that you've, you've, uh, you've sort of touched or been part of why they've become wine silly mm. um, and got the wine bug. Uh, but uh, the education part is, is a distinctive, uh, as you said, you know, I think you've got to, got to teach uh, why wine can be so great and, and all the facets of wine so that people get, you know, get an understanding of why it's interesting and uh, because inevitably most people just drink it and think, oh, it's liquid, but I enjoy it and, you know, then the answer is why. Mm-hmm. And, and you know, obviously putting it in context is so important. Having wine dinners, uh, no doubt people can understand, oh, okay, this is why you would pick a different wine to have with this kind of dish. And as you can tell from my athletically charmed body, um, you know, wine and food has definitely become a huge part for me and, um, you know, I think that's, again, part of the travel and the wine and food experience in places like Alsace or wherever, you know, in Italy is just mind-numbing. And, uh, and you know, and even locally, this, you know, I mean, now there's just so many great bars and, uh, you know, terrific wine and food. You know, Amaru up the road here, um, Clinton, you know, ex-Fudamond and just doing, you know, some super stuff. And, you know, that's really exciting. But in, uh, but in the wine regions as well, like, you mm. know, you go out to the Yarra Absolutely. Valley or the Mornkin Peninsula and there are some really world-class restaurants. There is, absolutely. And, and some, of the, some of the wineries are running world-class restaurants as well. Correct. You know, and Levantine Hill um, is a classic example of that with T. Gazard and uh, in the Yarra and, you know, there's, as you say, many examples. So Ten I think minutes by tractor down in the Mornkin Peninsula. It's stunning. And, and, you know, I think that's part of what's changed enormously in 20 years. It's, uh, again, you know, I remember, you know, tin sheds, being yeah. the, the MO for a Literally lot of, a cellar door. <laughs> absolutely, yeah. Bill Chambers with his tin shed and, you know, Dave Anderson, same deal. And, uh, you know, they were tin sheds. And yeah. uh, that, that's really, you know, I look back now and it's, uh, you know, you see the money invested at somebody like Levantine or, you know, 10 minutes or... Port Phillip Port Estate. Phillip. Yeah, exactly. You know, it's just, uh, it's you know, it's, you wonder how they ever see, they never will see return on investment in their lifetime, but they've left a legacy. But no doubt, like, an important part of their success comes from somewhere like here where you are creating uh, wine consumers who want to engage and aren't just looking to go out and, you know, see some scenery and drink some wine and, and then go home, you know, feeling yes. happy. They they want to have an experience. They want to learn and they want to enjoy a good meal to, sure. to really appreciate the quality of these wines, the hard work the winemakers do. When did you start to introduce the some of the courses and, and the events here um, to sort of see that kind of benefit to the business? I started um, in at my old place, Eagleman, I introduced courses then and because I probably didn't have the didn't have the confidence to be honest and you know the widespread knowledge I hadn't travelled as well. I got, I engaged a guy, Chris Barnes, lovely fellow, who helped us with his courses with our courses. And um and then basically realised I could see people, you know, were really interested. And then I think about some of the early day scenarios with Crozer, you know, Brian Crozer, who I've now become fairly good mates with and we even go to the footy together, even if he isn't a late supporter. And we won't hold it against nah, him. No, we won't hold it against him. And um, he's, he's cock a hoop now, of course. But um, <laughs> pretty simply, um, you know, his, I think Crows's uh, dissertations and, you know, classes that he'd hold were just amazing. And they just thrilled me about what, you know, the soils and, you know, I mean, the, the extent that Crows went was incredible. And, uh, and he knew that that's what would enthuse people. And so I think I got a lot from that. Colin Richardson in the old days, you know, um, 
did courses with him, uh, William Anglis, and then also, you know, through the trade when he ran Blue Pyrenees, and he was an amazing fellow. Um, you know, Ian Bird at Negotiations, Dave Lemire, who's now a good mate and is an MW. Um, you know, those sort of people, you could see the education that they were taking on and doing and also inspiring, you know, so I, I've got, you know, four million wine books, so to speak, at home, um, you know, most that I've read and uh, some I've just collected because I'm a, one of those people who can't go past a bookstore and, without buying a book. And, uh, you know, I, I just love reading about wine and there's always the thing about wine is that everyone has an opinion, but, you know, and there's no black and whites. It is it is greyish. There's always a greyishness about wine and, and is interpretive and subjective and it's an artistic pursuit. So for anyone, any human to look at a wine is really their own experience. And then, of course, the problem with experiences are you're limited in your own, uh, what you know, how good you are with your own olfactory and, and what you've uh, experienced in your life and how broad your wine library is. But it's, and so, you know, for me now, I love going out and drinking, you know, really good wines with some of my clients and friends and, you know, who just love sharing it. Because I think that's, again, part of what makes wine special is that you can share it, discuss it, eat eat and drink and see the marriagement um, happening before you and, uh, and you know, that's as good as planet Earth gets in my mind. But that really shows the, the, the relationship that you develop as an independent retailer. You know, you, you are creating, hopefully, you know, loyalty with the customer that they are coming back and, and yeah. you, they, you know, you're friendly with them and, yeah, sure. and, and then it's an opportunity, well, you know, I'm going to share with you and you share with me, this is great, you know, you don't, and then mm. you're not thinking of them, it's not a commercial transaction necessarily, you're no, just no, sharing experiences. No, no, I mean, I've, I've got a lot of friendships over the years of people who are customers and who trust in me and, and uh, I'm their wine guy, so to speak, and, uh, you know, it's, uh, and that's really, you know, I'm humbled by that and I'm also respectful of that and uh, and it's a real thrill. I mean, to think that people invest in you and then come keep coming back is, you know, a great, um, you know, joy and thrill and it's something that's, uh, you know, probably kept me going all these years and not wanting to deviate. You know, people say, why don't you open more stores? Why don't you, you know, do this and that? And I think, you know, no, I, I, I'm really um, very happy in my, uh, my own little sandpit uh, mm. and, and enjoying exactly what I do and... I don't want to be, you know, I don't care if I make a million dollars. I, I never will out of uh, out of wine retailing. It's it's a true passion. If you do in this business. <laughs> if you do, it's wine, a very passion-driven tough, business. Yeah, no, tough, it's, tough, it's tough, it's tough extreme. I mean, a million dollars. you can see where all my profits went uh, into educating myself and uh, enjoying myself. Experience. And experience. And I think that's part of it. I've, I've had some of the greatest experiences on planet Earth with, you know, people that I help sell wine, whether it's, you know, visiting wineries and, uh, you know, I was in Prosecco last year and, you know, it was the first time I'd been there and, you know, the people at Sullivan were, ex- you know, there's so, so much kindness and fantastic uh, friendship and, you know, the sharing of wine and food together that it's just, you know, it's 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 a really pleasurable industry. So like Richard Branson Ita- Italians said, do really value, Italians are great, you know, yeah. life oh, yeah, they and, and enjoyment now. Yes. <laughs> but you see it everywhere too, you know, and I think uh, there's a real, it's a real brotherhood and, you uh, and sisterhood of, um, of you know, everyone wanting to help each other, I think. But, you know, the new paradigms coming through now, uh, how do you sell, how do you have intermediaries? So the whole wholesale, the whole retail part is all changing greatly now and 
we're already seeing new models with the chains, you know, selling direct from distribution firms to into houses and mm. you know it's it's there's a lot of a lot of people starting to forget their channels of distribution. So it's interesting to watch where we we look at the market distinctly because for us it's there's got to be integrity and we can't afford to have uh, you know be under undercut stupidly and look you know I might be a good bloke but you know if I'm going to try and sell a box of wine sixty or a hundred dollars dearer then It'll be Harvey Norman, no interest, and uh, mm-hmm. they'll forget me. Um, but at the same time, so I've got to be realistic in the market, and that's why I'm, you know, I'm pretty uh, savvy to say the least about the market. We spend a lot of time making sure that we, you know, if we are going to promote something that we believe in, that we can also promote it at a at a comparable price at the marketplace. And I think, you know, that's that's something that some people aren't willing to do and spend that time, and then they get caught. Uh, potentially, and or uh, get you know disoriented by the market because it is a it is a very tough market. I mean, it's it's a tough business, and uh, but you know when you get it right, and uh, and I think there are still lots of opportunities, and so many new people and entrants, and got people from freehand here this week have been going for a few years, but you know the whole new natural thing, and which you know for an old dog like me, I still have to sort of think about uh, to some degree. But you know, I, you know it's it's interesting, and uh, so to have them here and show all their natural wines and uh, preserved and free organic is fantastic. And you know, there's so many new things happening. And then sometimes the funny part is you see a fashion that you used to see when you were younger. You know, uh, revisit. Mm-hmm. I'm convinced that Shiraz Cabernet is going to be the next. You know, the claret, so to speak, is going to take everything by storm at some stage had this discussion with Crozer and a few other people. And uh, I think that's where, you know, Cabernet, which is so out of fashion at the moment, but how do you, how do you sell Cabernet? Put it with, you know, Shiraz because everyone loves it. And really, Shiraz Cabernet as a blend is just a really quintessential Australian thing. We just have to come up with a term or, you know, it'll take probably a couple of the big companies. And I know Crozer and a few others are doing Shiraz. You know, Campbell Mattinson's a big, a big, big supporter. You know, mm. when he was uh, on the podcast previously, he yep. talked about his love of, uh, of Cabernet Shiraz, Shiraz Cabernet blends. Absolutely. Mm. Um, so 20 years this year, you know, it's it's a, mm. a year of celebration. Yes. Um, and there are lots of uh, exciting events um, and tastings lots. that you're running this year. Um, let me know about um, some of the people, some of the winemakers that you've got coming in, uh, yep. capping off with that big yeah, uh, the last, 20th birthday yeah, celebration. Yeah, last week we've had Mike, uh, Mike from Ocean 8, Mike Arwood. We've had uh, Nick Glatzer here in the cellar last night. Um, you know, we'll have uh, George Mahaley from Paradigm Hill uh, up at Amaru. Uh, later this month, uh, the Henschkeys will come to town with us uh, in a few months. Uh, Wild Duck Creek, Dave Anderson, uh, aka Duck, um, uh, will be uh, showing his uh, fairly boisterous style of uh, reds, and he's a fantastic personality. And um, yeah, number of people, Levantine Hill, that wine and personality matching, not just wine and yeah, food matching. no, exactly. <laughs> yeah, well, yeah, anyone who meets Duck, he's extremely idiosyncratic. He's hilarious, and. Uh, you know, just a new th- new things also, like uh, Levantine Hill thing with Paul Bridgman, who uh, went from Yarra Yering to there and is just doing, in my mind, some of the you know best things out of the valley. And with, you know, uh, the Gerasati family having no fear of supporting him in every realm, it's just an amazing thing to look at. Um, so there's, you know, some really amazing uh, brands out there that uh, we're going to be fortunate enough to be able to show and, uh, and have aligned. You know, Geoconda has always been huge for us. Um, and, uh, you know, I think uh, is probably, in my mind, or, you know, this the most uh, celebrated, safest brand in the country. That's a big statement. Uh, with all due respect, and, you know, I think Henschke runs a close second. And uh, I suppose for sheer size, Henschke, 
is probably the one. But, um, you know, those brands to me uh, are very reliable and very good. And um, so we'll do, you know, do a Cullen event. Um, I know Keith and Claire Mosswood will do something with them um, in the near future. And then, you know, we'll have some overseas contingents come in. Uh, we've done a Bouchard and Favely already this year, uh, which is lovely, and there'll be other Burgundian producers. Uh, champagne's always a big thing come September, um, so we're pretty hopeful that we'll have a number of really high-end champagne houses. Um, look, it'll never end. It's a, it's an ongoing party. I mean, this year just gave us this excuse to, you know, put on the 20-year tag. Uh, I got convinced by a couple of staff and a marketer that said, no, you've got to do something. You can't just forget this. This is, this is special. But we'll probably do the same thing next year and call it our 21st birthday <laughs> just to, in the joys of being a great salesman. But, uh, no, it, it has sort of maybe it's crystallised the fact that, you know, we it is it is pretty special to it's be a, able it's to. It's a milestone. Absolutely. Yeah, it is. Yeah, I mean, 20 years is nothing to be sneezed at. And it's a long – it's a big part of my life, obviously. But, you know, to, um, to be able to do what – to do what you do for a living and really enjoy it is a special thing. Um, I'm sure there's been costs along the way um, in varying realms, but, uh, you know, as I say, no regrets. And, um, again, I've been really fortunate to have enjoyed some of the greatest wines uh, with, you know, some absolutely beautiful people who created them and others who just love drinking them and want to have part of it. And uh, to be able to share that is very, very special. And um, almost going back to my Christian brother days, it sounded almost religious, didn't it? <laughs> well, yeah, we, I mean, we all do bow down to the church of the Venus nature. Correct, correct. Um, but uh, obviously um, there's uh, lots of information about all those events uh, on the Armadale Cellars website, so people should uh, book some spots um, because I believe there is an opportunity to win a golden ticket. We're doing golden tickets, yeah. There's 20 events and uh, they're listed on the, uh, I think, on the website and or social media. And uh, the 20 different wineries that uh, we've or we've nominated, and uh, there's many, Tollpuddle and Wild Duck and all the ones, a number of ones I've mentioned already, uh, we're giving away, and we did last night at Nick Glates's, uh, uh Shindig, uh, a golden ticket, which will be in September. There'll be a... A special dinner in the cellar here um, for twenty odd disciples, and that'll be uh, that'll be religious. That'll be we'll pull some serious wines out. I won't, I don't want to go in too much, so I don't give too much away. But there'll be no doubt some birth year bottles. I'm, I was a sixty four baby, and um, do you know what birth year I am? Eighty two. Eighty two. Another great oh. year. Awesome year. I got I got children one at ninety six and two oh two so they're good Australians. Pretty but, good, yeah, yeah. And uh, but yeah, no, uh, oh yeah, no, it's eighty two is a ripper. Yeah. And uh, I've, I've um, I turned thirty five uh, in about a month, and I've got an eighty two to open. Nice, yeah. nice, yeah. Well, I mean, and again, you know, for me, um, something I've come to really enjoy as uh, time's gone on is is the joy of understanding mature matured wine, which you know is an expensive hobby. And a long-term hobby, but... Uh, <laughs> time, both yeah. time and money. Correct. And again, I've been lucky that, you know, a number of customers and friends have really been uh, lovely in sharing fabulous bottles. Had a 39 uh, Loire Echezo for lunch last Thursday. That's last Friday, sorry. Oh, goodness. Which was pretty special. And uh, and those are the sort of bottles that you think about. You know, I mean, they're the things that, to me, make me go silly. And uh, uh, But, you know, even just a simple drink uh, can also be very pleasurable and... Um, you know, uh, had a bottle of Pugier Brunier last night. Uh, great Grenache from uh, the Rhone. And, um, uh, you know, I don't think wine doesn't need to be necessarily mind-numbing and too 
You can find pleasure in, yeah. in, in all price points, I think. Yeah, you can. Yeah, no, and I think that's, again, something that's probably st- stood me in good stead for 20 years is that realising that it's not all about, you know, $100 bottles or $200 bottles or whatever. But, uh, again, there's a lot of pleasure at all price points, as you rightly say. And uh, I think that's the skill that myself and the team want to put forward and why we only, you know, stock, you know, X, Y and Z rather than everything. Mm-hmm. And... Um, and it's it's a very a very selected group of uh, wines and wineries that we have, and uh, but obviously you know again you know we've uh, just started doing a lot of Hentley Farm gear that's you know there's some, always something new and or you know a brand that just needs to extend a little bit more, and so you know we've been really fortunate to take on Hentley Farm lately and um, add that to the great realm of brosses mm-hmm. that uh, exist. Uh, but look, there we could. Go on and on all day about all the different wineries. There's so many, so many good ones. And uh... what I would recommend is that people, you know, first head to the to the website, follow Armadale Sellers on social media, and then come into the shop. Introduce yourself to Phil and uh, some of the staff. Let them know that you uh, heard about Armadale Sellers on the podcast, and have a look at the amazing range of wines that they do have here. But uh, Phil, it has been fascinating and uh, fantastic to sit down with you uh, and uh, and hear about your background and all all the exciting things that are happening with Armadale Sellers this year. Um, I, I really appreciate it. Thank you, James. Uh, and, and I must admit, I'm, I'm a bit inspired too because I'm not a being an old dog. I don't, you know, not onto everything that's uh, uh, to do with technology. But I must admit, the podcast thing, I've, you've, you've opened my eyes, and I've started <laughs> looking at podcasts in other realms. I was listening to a podcast about champagne this morning, so I thank you for that because you've oh, actually pleasure. opened my eyes and uh, listened to young Ned Goodwin talk on your podcast. Who was, you know, I love Ned, and he's fabulous. Um, there's some really special people in wine, and so I, I'm going to make sure that my clients and different friends hear about you. And oh, fantastic! Are, yeah, those podcasts. But so you good. mentioned it before about you know telling a story. That's yes, exactly. That, that's that's the best thing I think. Apart from obviously drinking and enjoying it, sharing Correct. experience. It's about the storytelling, and everyone has their unique story to tell. Mm, and absolutely. then you know, from as far as the making of it, the selling of it, and then the enjoying of it. It's always a story. It's always and and as also as you mentioned, it's about perspective. It's, it is. Everyone's experience is different. But thank you, and uh, thank you uh, for making this part of your podcast. My pleasure. Cheers. And thank you guys for listening to another episode of The Vincast. I have been James Gersbrook, otherwise known as The Intrepid Wino, and I would love for you to follow me on social media, on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. I'm at Intrepid Wino. Uh, You can also subscribe to The Intrepid Wino YouTube channel, uh, where you can see lots of different videos, including my uh, series called Let's Taste, where I open up Australian wines and share my impressions of them. Uh, I'd love for you to subscribe to The Vincast uh, on iTunes, Stitcher, Player FM, uh, any number of different podcast hosting or sharing apps. Uh, subscribing means you get the newest episode as soon as it becomes available, and it's a great way for, to provide feedback to both myself uh, and to potential guests and listeners uh, by leaving a rating and a review. Uh, I always love hearing from the listeners. Uh, if you head to intrepidwino.com, there's lots of other content there, uh, writings and videos and uh, lots of other stuff. Uh, it's also a great way uh, to find out how to get in contact with me. I'd love to hear from you. So please do. Uh, and if you'd like to uh, suggest a guest for the show, uh, um, please get in contact with me. Uh, guys, uh, until next time, bye. Bye.